Welcome everybody to the Rouse Review. I am Dan Hoffman, City Manager. Uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, with me I have Amy Simmons, our Communications Director. Hi, how are you doing today? I'm very good. Uh, Amy is very nervous uh, about doing this. She does not believe that she has a, a voice for this type of thing. I'm going to prove her wrong throughout the course of this series. Uh, Amy has been our communications director here at City Hall for 25, 30 years, something like that. Uh, if that were the case, I'd be retired by now. But no, it's just 18. 18. 18, uh, I'm for sure, very fast years. Yes. Uh, Amy has been with ooh, how many city managers? Oh, if you count interim and uh, fill-ins, probably about nine or ten. Okay, so Amy has way more institutional knowledge about this place than I do since I've been here for, this is my fourth month. So well, it's gone by pretty fast, though. It, it is uh, flying by, that's for sure, especially when you join a city in the middle of a pandemic. Yes. So this, this podcast, uh, when Amy and I first started talking about it, um, and we've been doing this, the city's been doing the podcast for how long now? This will be the third year. So be the last two years, Barry Lee from Wink FM mm -hmm. has been the host. Yeah. And, and Barry, if any of you have met him out in the community, uh, super awesome guy. Very nice. He's amazing. I did yeah. one with, I did one podcast with him late last year to kind of introduce myself. Uh, and it, he is one of those, you know, old school radio guys uh, in a good way. Yeah. And, uh, his, his help with this podcast over the years is, is, is greatly appreciated. Amy and I thought about changing up the format a little bit, um, moving forward to try to, you know, I think just shake it up a wee bit, you know, in this kind of format, uh, change is essential to keep things fresh. And really the point of this podcast is for residents and, and staff to, to hear from the city, uh, exactly. what's going on, uh, what are we doing to help improve quality of life, to keep people safe, to keep people happy, to keep businesses thriving. So uh, we're trying this out. It is a bit of, ex of an experiment. So uh, thank you everybody for, for trying it out. We hope you get some use out of it. Now we are going to be doing this every, we're going to shoot to do it every two weeks. Uh, and it'll go out on the Mondays before council meetings. So you'll get a little bit of a, um, a preview as to what the council's going to t discuss at the upcoming meeting. Uh, we'll also do interviews with folks uh, about different topics that are important. Uh, in a few minutes, we're going to talk to Dr. Green from the Health District. Super and, excited. Yes. He, he is awesome. Uh, I, I can't wait to compliment him on the job he's doing. Uh, you know, I, I've seen how the pandemic's been handled from other health officials across mm -hmm. the country. And I got to tell you, he's uh, one of the best I've seen. Just great candor. Very knowledgeable. Down to earth. Yes. Uh, I mean, Easy to talk to. Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. In his weekly town halls that he does, for those of you who aren't aware, uh, they're Thursdays at 1230. I don't know how to how someone would access it. It's a it's a WebEx or one of a virtual meeting that he does. But Valley Health, if you contact Valley Health, uh, I'm sure they can point you in the right direction. It, it's something that he does with with Dr. Fight over at Valley, and they're just they're very informative, uh, very informative. Myself and a handful of my staff always yeah. uh, always check them out. So we're going to hear from Dr. Green about uh, vaccinations, where that stands here in the city of Winchester. Um, 
<clears throat> and then you know that's the kind of stuff we're going to do on a every two week basis roughly so yeah roughly because it's going to be the second and fourth monday yeah second and fourth yeah. mondays and We'll walk through the agenda here in just a second. Um, and then, of course, you know, any questions or concerns, uh, you know, I think as this gets going and as folks become a little more aware, you know, we will do a kind of a virtual mailbag. Uh, today, I will, I'll talk about a few things um, that I know are frequently asked questions that I've been getting about general city issues and topics from uh, from the last couple of weeks. So, uh, but also if there's something that you want to hear discussed, um, please feel free to send it my way. But we do have an online form they can fill out as well. If they go to the Rouse Review uh, website, our webpage that we have on the city's website, there's also a form there they can send in their questions and you can answer them on there. Absolutely, that's the best way to do it. So I'm going to, uh, we're gonna quickly roll through the agenda. Council agenda is, um, council's, the council meeting, excuse me, is tomorrow starting at six o'clock. Our meetings are still virtual and I do anticipate the council meetings will be virtual uh, into February. A lot of that depends on uh, our COVID stats and the vaccination rollout. Uh, and I think, um, you know, I know I have not yet had a council meeting in the actual council chambers. We've been either at the uh, recreation center over at uh, Jim Barnett Park or uh, or virtual since I've been here. So I know I'm looking forward to getting back in person, uh, but unfortunately for the foreseeable future, we're going to be virtual. So uh, Amy, what do we have coming up on the agenda tomorrow? Well, uh, for a couple of things that are of interest, a couple of public hearings, there's the bed and breakfast that's on Amherst Street. The conditional use permit, they are coming up for a vote, I believe. Mm -hmm. So there's a public hearing ahead of that. I know there's been a lot of uh, questions from the public about that. Uh, I would definitely encourage, anytime we have issues like that uh, coming before the council, you know, we record all of our council meetings. So even if you can't make the the virtual meeting or, you know, or in some cases the in-person meeting, uh, do go to the website, watch the video, see what the discussion has been uh, previously. I think right. that's always the best way. If you want to engage on this topic, it's always good to see what the, the conversation has been. Very, you know, a lot of these issues, once they're at our regular meeting, they've already been discussed at least once, sometimes twice. Right. So it's always good to go back and watch the, the initial dialogue what, so you can better engage. Why don't you describe the process then? So for... That's a good point. So if something's going to become an ordinance, uh, right now it goes to either it goes to a committee, and we have four committees. They're relatively new for the council, uh, a finance and audit committee, a public safety committee, uh, boards and committees committee, uh, <laughs> and a, a new planning and economic development committee. So sometimes items will go to the committee first. Once it moves out of committee, uh, then it goes to a regular meeting. We still will have work sessions. Work sessions happen after our regular meeting. So when the six o'clock meeting adjourns, typically we roll pretty quickly right mm -hmm. into the work session. So some items will go to a committee or work session. And there's no action that can be taken at either one of those. No, they just advance. Them. Right, they All just discuss in advance. Discuss, it's at the committee level. The, the point of the committee is to really get into the weeds on a lot of these issues, particularly with planning. Uh, you know, sometimes these developments are uh, very, you know, they impact the community, they add to our tax base, uh, you know, they 
sometimes add additional uh, burden to our infrastructure that we have to plan for. Um, and their investments. You know, we have to remember too that the folks that are building these uh, buildings are investing millions of dollars in, in order to, you know, make our community more valuable on the whole. Uh, the more tax revenue we get off of uh, of a particular property, you know, the the better we can provide a service. The more services we can provide. Uh, the more we can keep up with infrastructure uh, concerns. It is not cheap to manage a city stormwater system or a city utilities Mm -hmm. or uh, replace police cars and fire trucks. You know, those are all things that uh, don't come for free. So new development is, is necessary and, but it also has to be thoroughly discussed. So that's going to happen at the committee level. It just advances from committee or the work session, it advances to a uh, regular meeting, at which point it gets a first and a second reading. Now, some things they just need to be heard once and voted on, like a resolution or, or some other items. Um, but for for an ordinance, uh, it gets a first reading, at which point <clears throat> a presentation will typically occur. It might not be as in-depth as what happened at the work session or the committee level, but then uh, no action needs to, to be occur there either. They just hear the presentation. They provide, the, they being the council, uh, provides feedback. They ask questions. Uh, the public can provide public comment. We all, at our meetings, we have a time for public comment. So if you want to speak to something that's on the agenda, we encourage you to do that. Um, after it leaves first reading, it goes to second reading, and that's that's the final opportunity. That's where the public hearing and vote takes place. Exactly. So then there there is a everyone gets three minutes to speak on that topic. So it, it's a good place to a good time to log your your final you know support or uh, or or lack thereof for a particular uh, ordinance development what have you. So. There's normally not a big presentation at second reading because it's been discussed right. multiple times multiple at times, that point. Yes. Uh, and if it's a, let's say if it's a particular land use issue or development, it's also gone to the planning commission before right. that. So, and oftentimes with this, some of these developments, um, whether it be a conditional use permit uh, or a larger um, item like the Linden Drive uh, item that's on the agenda, the, you know, those have also been discussed multiple times uh, at the planning commission level. So. There are many opportunities for the public to engage um, on these items. Right, and the difference between a resolution and an ordinance is pretty broad because an ordinance puts it into law, mm-hmm. into code. Yep. And a, or- a resolution is just, we just like this, basically. Absolutely. There's, uh, true with all elected bodies, it's, there are very few occasions when one elected body can bind or commit the next elected body to something unless they make it a law. Right. Now, that even that law can be undone uh, <laughs> by the next elected body. Uh, you know, that's problematic for a number of reasons, but it's uh, a law makes it permanent. A resolution is um, a, a point in time um, manifestation of the council's uh, opinion or desire or wish. Uh, but you know the next council could pass a resolution saying the exact opposite if they would like, but it's not binding. Right. And it really resolutions um, 
for me as a city manager, resolutions give me some guidance as to what the, the will of the council is or what the interests. Uh, sometimes there are specific directives for me uh, mm-hmm. in those resolutions, but it's also not a law that I have to uh, abide by, you know, in perpetuity. Right. So this bed and breakfast is at 514 Amherst Street, and they are going to convert that beautiful house sitting up on the hill mm-hmm. there on the right, uh, coming from downtown to seven rooms. And they're also wanting to have some events inside and out, which mm-hmm. is why they need that conditional use permit. Yep. So they are going to go to a public hearing and vote on that. And then right after that is a second reading, which means public hearing and vote yep. uh, for the Spring Street development. Mm-hmm. And that has been a topic of conversation for many months both yes. planning commission and council <clears throat> yes it's that's uh i believe that's the one that's closer to shenandoah university um yeah a lot, of, a lot of questions regarding that one but again if there if that's one you want to engage on this is your this is second reading so it's last last chance to, to voice your opinion and, and engage with your council um, but I do encourage you to, to go back and if you're going to do that, listen to some of the commentary from your from the community that has already occurred. Listen to you know the conversation that the council has had. It's, it's often very helpful. Plus, you know our city staff are always uh, happy to to answer questions as well. Uh, our planning director Tim Humans is uh, a wealth of knowledge. So if you ever have much. any questions around how this kind of thing works, uh, feel free to reach out. Yep. That is a 198 multifamily unit. So it's a mixed use development with two commercial buildings uh, right behind the Roy Rogers mm-hmm. and Tropical Smoothie area. So they're going to uh, have a rather large mixed use development if it passes through the second reading. So what else is on the agenda? Let's see. There's You'll a f- see a pretty lengthy consent agenda. Yeah. So what does that mean? So consent agenda is they're not going to talk about it. They just approve it. It's the type of thing where uh, it's already been discussed typically at a committee level uh, or it, it's not something that really warrants uh, an in-depth discussion. They, the council just needs to be aware of it and, like it, like the word means, consent to it. And sometimes it means it was, it was forwarded unanimously, right, from yeah. a previous work session or something. So they all agreed 100% that this is just, we don't yep. need to talk about it anymore. Yep. We can't do um, ordinances that way or resolutions that way. It's, you know, if we're putting somebody, you'll see the, the list is pretty long. We're, we're putting... We're filling a lot of vacant seats on our different advisory boards. So that's um, that's typically what ends up in the consent agenda. Right. Okay, so there's another first reading, so no discussion on mm-hmm. a... Oh, you're bringing something to council. You discussed it last work session, didn't you? Yep. Uh, we are prohibiting guns and ammunition in city facilities. Uh, so this is another one. It'll be, uh, it was discussed at work session. It moved forward 7-2, and now mm-hmm. it's going to be discuss, discussed uh, at first reading uh, next Tuesday. Uh, that particular ordinance would provide, um, I'd say, additional tool in the toolbox uh, for our police department to make sure that our city employees and visitors to city buildings are safe. Um, obviously, you know, a lot of concerns uh, around the country. Different city facilities have experienced um, you know, issues with guns and gun violence. Uh, the state uh, last July uh, passed some legislation enabling us to do this. And uh, I think we would be the seventh or eighth jurisdiction in Virginia to adopt this. But Blacksburg, Charlotteville, uh, Charlottesville, Richmond, and I think a couple of counties, Fairfax, Fairfax County, mm-hmm. Arlington County, yeah. I think have as well. So um, it, it's something, obviously the safety of our employees is, is really 
one of, if not the most important thing uh, to to me as a city manager. So it's something we're going to be discussing um, next Tuesday. Yep. So that includes um, we anybody who comes into a city building, city park, mm-hmm. or a public right away and adjacent to those buildings? Adjacent to an event. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. So let's say there is a, um, let's say a, a, a local church is having a, a street fair uh, and they close down a street. It's a permanent event. Uh, this would uh, restrict the carrying of firearms around that event uh, so, in on the public right of way okay. adjacent to it. Okay. So it's got to be adjacent yeah. to something that's going on, yeah, closing absolutely. a street. And it does not, and this does not apply to police officers, uh, active duty military performing their role, uh, historical reenactments. Yeah. It, it does not apply to um, to all of the folks that we want to be carrying a firearm to that keep us safe on a daily basis. Okay. Well, that's first reading, so we'll hear that again uh, the next meeting if it gets forward. Yep. Council absolutely. still yeah. has the ability at this point to table it. They or... can table it or continue it. Right. So that's that's the closest they get to. It needs no action to move forward. Um. So if they take no action, it'll go second reading. Right. And now you mentioned something that the Code of Virginia amended their code authorizing us to do this. Mm-hmm. So Dillon Rule State, correct? Dillon Rule State. So for those of you guys who don't know what a Dillon Rule State is, <clears throat> I'm also figuring it out myself since this is my first <laughs> uh, city management job in a Dillon Rule State. So Dillon Rule is very different than Home Rule. Home Rule, uh, a Home Rule State in essence, means that uh, a local jurisdiction, a city or a county, uh, they can do whatever they want unless they are explicitly told or preempted from doing it by the state legislature. So they they do whatever they want unless told otherwise. We are the opposite of that. A, a Dillon rule state means we can't do anything unless we're specifically told we can do it, um, which in some cases makes our job a little easier right you know we'll be talking to dr green here in a second he runs a public health district that handles all of the uh, coronavirus response the enforcement of the emergency orders all of those things um they're empowered to do that by the state in florida where i was most recently working it was a home rule state so it was incumbent upon me uh to and i i oversaw the enforcement of all the mask orders um, I know, you know, there are folks down there that are, are still uh, dealing with coronavirus response at the city level. Um, it's just a different way of uh, governance between states and local jurisdictions. Okay. So before we get into real quick, you know, how people can participate in the meetings, mm-hmm. why don't you tell us what's going on at the work session this, this week? Um, I'll be straight with you. The work session, pretty light. So nice. I don't think there's, yeah, it's, uh, for those of you who don't know, the work sessions occur right after the council uh, regular meeting. So uh, we've got a few standard items that are going to be discussed. A couple, uh, we've got a text amendment um, that will eventually end up at the regular meeting, but it's it's a pretty light work session agenda. Um, That's good. Yeah. So the regular meeting starts at 6 p.m. on the second and fourth Tuesdays. So if uh, you'd like to participate with public comments we can do that if you want to log into the webex portal we have the information on our website on how to do that but if you're if you're not planning to address council 
we just ask that people watch through our agenda portal so it doesn't um, confuse who is and who is not speaking when we start calling on people. Mm-hmm. And then uh, it'll be on available on demand through the agenda portal if you don't want to watch it live. Yep. So that's uh, the quick and dirty on it. Absolutely. So thank you for the council agenda overview. Uh, And now we have with us uh, Dr. Green here in the studio. Welcome, Dr. Green. First off, I want to say a couple of things before I ask you a little bit about yourself. Uh, You are the the health director for the Lord Fairfax District Health District. That's correct. Now, I just came from a wholly different state uh, and was a in city management there for, you know, really throughout the pandemic before I moved here a few months ago. And I, I first off have to start by by praising you a little bit because uh, the response and the organization and your counterpart in this other jurisdiction that, that I was from, uh, night and day, uh, you do this weekly. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Dr. Green and, and Dr. Fight, uh, am I pronouncing mm-hmm. properly, from mm-hmm. Uh, from Valley Health do a weekly conference call for a lot of the different stakeholders and uh, organizations around town about uh, the data that they're seeing, uh, vaccination updates, and I got to say the the transparency, the frankness with which you guys do that call, <clears throat> it has uh, been so helpful. Uh, and the role of the health district in in state like Virginia relative to other states mm. is make city management so much easier. So I got to start off by saying uh, thank you. And I've been so thoroughly impressed with, with you and everything the, uh, the health district's been doing. So we're proud to serve, and those are your tax dollars at work. <laughs> well, 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 thank you. As someone who's also paid by uh, taxpayers, uh, I, <clears throat> I'm always happy to have another one of us public servants uh, really show, show what um, public service can, can really be. So as the as the health director, tell me a little bit about your role. Um, you're not the doctor of for the for the district. Um, you're not a primary care physician. You're not a surgeon. What does a health director do? Right. So actually, I am a primary care physician oh. by training. I'm a family doctor. Okay. However, my role here is is more oversight. I work for. The Virginia Department of Health, who works for the uh, the Secretary of Health and Human Resources, who works for the governor. So we're we're a state organization, and the uh, the local health districts number thirty five across the state. Hmm. Uh, and and God bless my boss down in Richmond. He has thirty five direct reports to deal with, uh, but that's how it's laid out. And when I first got here in 2017 and read the, the health director's manual that, that VDH gave to me, they said I was supposed to be not only their representative in this district, but also the local public health expert. And I took that to heart. And part of, part of that is getting a hold of, grabbing a hold of opportunities to make connections with the public and to keep people informed. The, uh, the, the weekly town hall that, that Dr. Fight and I are involved with was actually uh, organized by community groups, and then Valley Health generously agreed to start running it. Uh, but we saw it was a good thing, and a lot of people attended every week, so it seemed logical to and helpful to, to con- continue it. In 2017, did you ever think that you'd be uh, dealing with something like this? Well, I spent quite a bit of time in the Army before, and uh, we did a lot of training for for pandemics and public health outbreaks. We were involved, for example, with 
uh, oversight of the campaign against Ebola in 2016. So, mm -hmm. so the concept of pandemics is not new to me. And when you become a public health director, uh, it's kind of like going to the insurance business and then you complain when a hurricane comes. So this is, <laughs> pandemics are one of the reasons you have a health department. So we're just doing our job. That's an awesome analogy. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. So <clears throat> let's get into some data, some of the, the latest breaking information. I know our positivity rate has been uh, not good for, for quite some time. Uh, the last few days, at least the numbers I've seen have gotten a wee bit better, um, but obviously we're nowhere near out of the woods yet. What are you seeing? Well, the thing I look at the most is, is the, uh, what we call the incidence rate, the rate of new mm -hmm. cases. And while the day-to-day -day graph is hard to judge because a lot of it involves what cases were recorded and accounted for on any given day, but the general twen trend, general trend has not been a happy one. Mm -hmm. We went from having about 10 to 15 cases per day, new cases per day in this entire district back in August, September, to around 200 right now. So it's at a 20-fold increase. Wow. Uh, and it's been, it's had its ups and downs with the holidays, but it's, it's been a fairly steady rise, and, and it is disturbing. And that trend is, is not limited to this district. It's not limited to Virginia. It's, it's really the entire northern hemisphere. It, it, it appears that uh, that this virus does in fact like the winter winter weather and spread uh, better in the cold weather interesting so we did end up seeing the, the holiday bumps that a lot of us were expecting to see coming out of the holiday gatherings yeah there were holiday bumps but they were if you look at the at, at the graph they were really just bumps in a larger upward trend and huh. we still haven't found the peak so when do you think we'll find that peak? Oh, now you're asking me to predict the future. Um, and I, as I mentioned offline, scientists are really pretty lousy at predicting <laughs> the future, even if we think otherwise. If this follows the pattern of, for example, a flu season, uh, there will be a peak sometime in the winter and, and, and it'll decrease in the spring. Hmm. Now, we actually hope to put a dent in that process by our vaccination campaign. And the more people that are vaccinated, the fewer people that are uh, available to get sick and especially if we can vaccinate the elderly, the fewer people that are available to die from this or end yes. up in the hospital should alter the, uh, the natural course of that curve. What, and that's part of our goal. What has the capacity of hospitals been looking like over the last couple of weeks? Uh, well, again, I, I don't run the hospital, though I do talk to them frequently. Mm -hmm. uh, they, are, they are functioning. Uh, but on, on <clears throat> that's not a really high bar. No, Fun well, functioning seems. Uh, well, a they function. Minimal. Hospitals here function very well, so okay. that actually actually is a, a good good high bar. Good. But um, they're functioning, and they have some extra capacity, but not a lot, is my understanding. And again, mm -hmm. probably an interview with Valley Health would give you a better a better answer to that question. But I have not heard, uh, for example, large numbers of patients being transferred out because uh, ICUs are full or we're out of ventilators. Nothing like that. Okay. So and, 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 and normal procedures are still being done. We haven't you know, stopped all yeah. um, uh, elective procedures like we did back in the spring. So let's get into vaccines a little bit. Mm -hmm. we're, we're now in phase 1B, right. is my understanding. Correct. Uh, does that mean, and phase 1A was mainly medical uh, care providers, EMS? Phase 1A was designed to stop the health care delivery system from collapsing due to loss of staff and uh, being overwhelmed by patients. That was the purpose of phase 1A, along with the parallel process, uh, which did not go through the health department, of 
sending the pharmacies out to vaccinate all the elderly in our long-term care facilities. And that, that was done because that's where the majority of our deaths have occurred. Okay. Um, but the, the part that you mentioned, the actual phase 1A, again, was designed to, to avoid the collapse of the healthcare system. And we're past phase 1A, so we're no longer worried about the collapse of the healthcare system. Right. We're now in 1B. Who's in 1B? Uh, the, again, the primary goal of 1B, the first population mentioned, it was originally persons over 75. Again, they're the most vulnerable group uh, to, to death and bad outcomes from this disease. Uh, the governor actually in the last week chose to drop that down to 65. Mm-hmm. Again, 65 is where, the, where the, the death curve kind of makes its abrupt turn upwards. So, uh, so in phase 1B, it's people over age 65. Mm-hmm. And again, it's because those are the ones most at risk. And then select patients who have chronic medical problems who are adults and maybe younger. Those, that's the, the primary ongoing group. And then in addition, we have selected groups by profession Again, essential services we don't want to use. So, for example, law enforcement. Uh, we vaccinated first responders, EMS, fire and rescue in phase 1A. We completed the first responder group in phase 1B, and we're pretty close to done with that. The, uh, the next group after that is the education establishment, specifically K-12. to And we are, uh, we are not complete with that, but we're working on it right now. After that... Uh, additional groups are uh, people in the corrections, and then manufacturers of, of food and agricultural workers. Okay. So those will, those will be the next groups, again, based on availability of vaccine. So the 65 and older group is, is a parallel. That's done continuously. Okay. Then the other groups are done as they, as they become available. So that's, so we're about neck deep in 1B right now. <clears throat> Almost to 1C, we anticipate 1C in a couple of weeks. Yeah, unfortunately, I've got to change that prediction because of the vaccine supply. Okay. If we had unlimited supply of vaccines, we could be in phase 1C by February. Oh, wow. Uh, but we don't. So it's it's going to take longer. What are we looking at in terms of supply right now? The latest figures that I received from Richmond, and in their defense, Richmond has the unenviable task of sharing shortages, and nobody mm-hmm. likes that. Uh, so, but the the latest information that we got is we're going to receive a total of 2,750 shots, new shots per week for the entire district. And it's I will tell lot. you, I will tell you, between Valley Health and us and the local pharmacies, we could knock that out in a day. Yeah. So, uh, it and and it's not just this district. All the districts mm-hmm. are looking at those shortages. It's a it's a statewide and probably a nationwide problem. Yeah. Yeah. Early on, we were hearing a lot about vaccines going to waste and there wasn't enough storage. Right. There's vaccines sitting in, uh, you know, <clears throat> uh, warehouses somewhere. I'm assuming that's not the case. No. And if you if you look at well, initially, initially, the rollout was not as fast as everyone would have liked, which is why the governor stood up and say, get out there and put shots in arms. Mm-hmm. And when when. We in this district heard the governor say that. That's when we scheduled our first open pod, okay. our first open shot clinic, and we vaccinated 910 people that following Monday, and then 1,250 the Friday after that. So we took the governor to heart. Mm-hmm. At that time, there were there were vaccines that were available that were being given more slowly than they were coming in. That situation in a week has completely reversed. So mm-hmm. everybody took the governor to heart. They started giving shots, and all of a sudden we don't have as much to give out as people would like to have. 
are we getting the vaccine in tranches? I mean, is it or is it just a trickle? What and what's that supply chain even look like? So, I don't have visibility mm-hmm. of the supply chain to give you a specific answer. Uh, I can tell you that the steps that it would need to go through, the way things are set up, is number one, you've got Pfizer and Moderna, and how fast they can turn the stuff out. Mm-hmm. So, how how much vaccine are they producing? They then put it under the the control of the federal government and whatever bureaucracy it has to go through there to distribute it. And however, the federal government decides to distribute it by state or to these pharmacies that are, that are uh, vaccinating the long-term care facilities. Again, I don't have a lot of visibility Mm -hmm. on the specifics. A certain amount is then sent down to, to Virginia for the governor and for the VDH central office to distribute. And again, they have the, the task of then deciding how that gets distributed amongst their 35 districts. And the numbers I gave you were, um, were, were what we are l- probably looking at for, unfortunately, probably the next four weeks. Hmm. Okay. And things change frequently in this. So I might be back in a week saying things are better, but I might not. Well, and fing- Fingers crossed. Yeah, we, but we were, we were told by, by people at, in the know at the central office to plan on this 2750 a week mm-hmm. to be to be the way it's going to be for the next four weeks. Now, that does not include second shots. So for people that have received their first shot, my understanding is, and, and we, we have are supposed to receive them here in the district, we'll still be sent that second shot for people that have had their first shot. Okay. And we're already planning uh, follow-up clinics, for example, for the, uh, the people that got their shots last week in Clark Clinic. Mm-hmm. We've set aside... Um, the fairgrounds on the 8th of February and the high school on the 12th to do a second shot for those people. Okay. So have you been, has the health district been getting the Pfizer or the Moderna? Both. They've been getting both of them? Both. The Pfizer has gone exclusively to Valley Health because of the requirement to store it at such a cold temperature. Uh, They and Shenandoah University and maybe one or two industrial Mm -hmm. facilities are the only ones that have that kind of ultra-cold storage capability. Why does the one need that and the other does not? It has to do with the, the, the construct of the vaccine and, and, and how it's put together chemically, and, and I don't know the details. The one thing I do know is because this vaccine uses a messenger RNA molecule, that's an extraordinarily delicate molecule. Mm-hmm. In nature, normally all it does is, is uh, it's produced in the nucleus it's produced off of a strand of DNA in the nucleus. It has to travel across the cell to something called a ribosome, where it travels through the ribosome and tells that ribosome to produce a certain protein in a certain order. Hmm. Once it's done, it falls to pieces, so its its pieces can be used to make another messenger RNA. So it's in nature, it was never built to be a long-lasting molecule. So uh, it requires just that super, super cold in its natural state to keep it from falling to pieces. And in fact, we have to be extra careful handling the vaccine before we give it. Um, you can't shake the vial, for example. It'll it'll disrupt the molecule. If you drop it, you throw that one in the trash because wow. you probably disrupted it. Yeah, it's a it's a delicate vaccine and it requires some special handling. And that's the Pfizer one. That's 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 the Moderna also. That's Moderna. The, the okay. Pfizer is the one that that uh, requires the ultra cold storage. The Moderna Moderna has to be stored at at minus 20 Celsius, which is minus four Fahrenheit, mm-hmm. but it has to be consistently stored at that temperature. Mm-hmm. And again, I don't know the details of yeah. the the uh, composition of the vaccine as to why one's colder than the other, but they're both delicate molecules. Hmm. Fascinating. And of course, a lot of folks 
is it safe? Uh, you know, I've, I'm hearing less and less of that, especially right. from my staff. Um, you know, I think folks are starting to accept the fact that, you know, they're going to get the shot. We've put some policies in place to strongly encourage folks to get the shot. Right. Um, but of course, there's still these lingering questions of, is it safe? We hear uh, lots of anecdotes and rumors about uh, side effects and what's the long-term uh, effects. You know, what are you seeing? Well, if I didn't think it was safe, I wouldn't have had two of them put in my arm. Uh, I'll tell you that. I also have, again, courtesy of the U.S. Army, a, a background uh, having run a research lab for a time. And part of that part of that laboratory's job was making vaccines. It was 2016, and we were trying to produce a vaccine against the Zika virus back when, when uh, we thought it was going to be a threat, which mm. fortunately turned out not to be. But So I have some familiarity with the vaccine production process. I can tell you that uh, from what I've seen and what I've read, I'm satisfied corners were not cut in producing either of these two vaccines. What happened was there was enough money fronted so that the various steps, the various uh, the five or so steps in the uh, research process could all be set up at the same time because the federal government fronted the money. Also, the federal government promised to buy in advance a certain number of doses, and that and uh, incentivize the pharmaceutical companies for setting up the production lines ahead of time, which is something they would never have done until uh, they had final approval. Yeah. So Operation Warp Speed actually did accelerate this this process probably by a year or two. Hmm. The one the one part of the of the uh, the development process that was shortened is the final trial. That's the the fa- so-called phase three clinical trial, where you get you take thirty thousand people. Uh, each one of them, you flip a coin at the beginning, you know, an electronic coin, yeah. um, to, to, to see whether they get a placebo shot that's just saline or whether they get the actual vaccine. And again, the patient doesn't know which vaccine they got. The person with a syringe in their hand mm-hmm. doesn't know which vaccine. The person running the study doesn't know which vaccine. There's, only, there's a secret list somewhere so they can keep track. But uh, that's called double-blinded mm-hmm. so that there's no bias in the study. And you randomize them so the demographics of each group are the same. This is a standard practice for a new vaccine. Typically, that randomized clinical trial would be run for a couple or three years. The reason it would be run that long is so you could say with certainty how long the immunity lasts and whether or not you know one or two or three boosters are needed. The, decision, the other purpose of that trial is to, is to rule out severe side effects. Fortunately, from our experience with vaccines, severe side effects almost always show up within the first six weeks. So the decision was made to accept the results of the clinical trial after three months, which was long enough, number one, to get past that six-week point and not see any severe side effects, uh, and second, to have three months of data to clearly show that there was, there was a striking difference uh, in the sickness rate between the vaccinated group and the placebo group. And if you look at a graph, for the first 10 days after the first shot, the two groups get sick at the same rate with COVID. After day 10, the placebo group, the saline group, continues to get sick at the same rate. The vaccine group, their line goes com- almost completely horizontal. Almost nobody gets sick after that, after about 10 days after the first shot. It was striking. And Dr. Fight and I both kind of said, wow, when we looked at that. Uh, that same graph was part of the FDA application for, for both Pfizer and Moderna. It was uh, not exactly the same. But it was, it was very, uh, very similar. So, can I say that 
it will give immunity for three or five years. No, I can't because we have, don't mm -hmm. have that much experience. Can I say that it has a pretty remarkable effect in almost all people after 10 or 14 days? Yeah, I think I can say that with some confidence. What about the difference between those who have had COVID and have some antibodies in their mm -hmm. system versus those who have not had have COVID? Are we seeing different side effects, different haven't, uh, haven't heard much about different side effects. Really, the side effects are mostly mild. I mean, I got a sore arm for mm -hmm. both shots for a day. And honestly, if I hadn't been thinking about it, I probably never would have noticed it. It was that mild. About maybe 3% of people get uh, kind of malaise and a little fever long enough to take them out of, out of work for a day. Uh, but the side effects, for the most part, have not been all that bad. Um, again, the, the really severe side effects, those were, those were not seen in the clinical trials. We're seeing a lot in the news about mutations, and there's the South African this, and the, the British that, and the German variation, and, and you know, there's concern about another wave of this new, more uh, contagious strain. What are you hearing? Is that something we should be concerned about? It's, it's of some concern, especially if it's more contagious. Now, mm -hmm. I, have not concern, I have not heard that it's more deadly. In fact, I read one story that maybe it was a little less so. But any mutation is a little bit of concern because this vaccine causes our body to make antibodies against the so-called spike proteins, those little points on the outside of the virus that makes it look like a crown, which got it the name coronavirus. Mm -hmm. So if those spike proteins mutate to the point where our antibodies from the vaccine don't recognize them anymore, then the vaccine won't work. And the flu virus does that every year. That's why we need a. That's why we need a new flu virus every year. Is that that nasty flu uh, virus manages to mutate a little bit each year, and we need to tweak the vi the vaccine a little bit. But we have not, to date, I have not read anything saying there have been changes in the uh, the spike proteins in this particular virus. And again, this is not a flu virus, so it won't necessarily behave like one. So, when we ask you to get the the crystal ball out again for just a moment, so. Will this be an annual shot? Do you anticipate this being, uh, we, we, we're already seeing some mutations. Is it behaving like the flu? I know it's not the flu, but is it behaving like the flu? Right. So the completely honest answer is we don't know yet because we haven't had enough time. Um, if you want a gut feeling or what our intent is, our intent is this will be less like the flu and, and more like, like, chicken pox or, or rubella mm. where you get the shot and you're immune. Excellent. That's, that's, that's the hope and that's the intent. I'm going to hold you to that. Yeah, that's good news. Well, <laughs> you, you can hold me to it, but remember I said it's a gut feeling. <laughs> the honest answer was we don't know. No. <clears throat> I, I, think, uh, I think at this point, you know, when we all started on this journey last March, uh, no one knew what to expect. I mean, I, I remember when, when two weeks before shutting down the city hall in my last job, I would have thought that that was crazy. You know, we, we heard that some places were considering shutting down city hall and I thought, well, they're just overreacting. That's this can't possibly be that bad. Two weeks later, I'm like, Oh, we got to shut yeah. down city hall. This is really crazy. Mm -hmm. And now, and, and then of course there was that summer kind of lull before mm -hmm. it spiked back up. Right. And we all thought, well, it's done. By the fall, this will be totally normal. Uh, by the fall, no, it's absolutely worse. Uh, so I think at this point, the population 
it's not that they don't have any put any stock or faith in what projections they see, but they they have come to expect the unexpected at this point and not and, rule anything out. And and that's appropriate. Uh, again, see see back to my previous comment. Mm-hmm. Uh, we like to think we we in science like to think we can predict the future. We're really pretty lousy at it. If you if you look back, <laughs> uh, and but I'll we, take we, your prediction over my prediction any day of the yes. week. But but we make we make the best predictions we can based on based on the data we have and, and past data and and then whenever you make a prediction, you have to make a whole bunch of assumptions. Mm-hmm. Okay, this this and this piece of data are not going to change. Those are all assumptions. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> this step this is going to behave like it always has. That's always yeah. an assumption. You know, these these other pieces of data are going to be like just like they were last year. That's another assumption. If any of those assumptions are wrong, it changes things. Hmm. So that's why it's so hard to predict the future. Yeah. Can I ask a somewhat stupid question? Jump in. There are no stupid questions. <laughs> well, I think this might be obvious, but um, why is it preferring or why does it spike in the in the winter and the cold weather? Is it just because people are inside more? <sighs> yeah. Again. If you'd have to really do a study and have one group of people that stays inside and one pe- group that didn't for me to give you a definite answer. But the, the theories or the hypotheses behind it are exactly what you said, that number number one, that in cold weather people are indoors and they tend to be closer together. Uh, and then number two, for whatever reason, the uh, the virus spreads better in the cold weather. Again, the virus may last longer in the air in the cold weather. Uh, I don't. I'm not a, enough of a virologist to answer that question well, but I, I can say that it is apparent uh, that all around the northern hemisphere, above about 35 degrees north latitude, starting in October, the number of cases went up very quickly. Hmm. It happened in Europe. It happened in Central Asia, uh, hmm. and it happened in North America. Interesting. Interesting. Thank you. Hmm. One one last question, and then we'll let you go. Obviously. Uh, this new administration is uh, less than 24 hours old, but we're already seeing a lot of news about you know, executive orders related to the coronavirus, uh, different steps being taken. Is any of that trickling down uh, to the state level or your level yet, Are you, or is it pretty much business as usual? Yeah, the one thing that's, uh, as far as the new administration, it hadn't really had enough of a chance to probably affect a lot of change yet. Um, and that's way above my pay grade anyway. <laughs> what, what, what has had an effect is the most significant effect is the, the decreasing of the, uh, of, of the availability of vaccine that really is putting a damper on our ability to, to attack this virus and to destroy it. And uh, again, that could be anywhere from the production rate to getting it through federal custody, through mm-hmm. um, getting it to the state. Uh, through how the state handles it to when we finally get it so and and I don't have visibility of all those all those factors in the logistic line excellent one last question I'm going to put you on the spot so every week in your town hall there is a uh, Star Trek cutout behind you <laughs> are you a Star Trek fan or is that just a a gift that decorated your office well uh so the, the answer is yes, yes to both. Now, I'm not what you'd call a Trekkie. I've never put on, you know, Spock ears and gone to a convention. But I'm old enough to have to have seen Star Trek in its original three seasons. And uh, Oh, wow. And, and was, a, as a young lad, watched the Gemini and Apollo missions with fascination. So 
So that was part of my growing up. And the uh, the cutout was a gift from my middle daughter. It's, a, it's Spock, isn't it? Uh, actually, it's Dr. McCoy. Dr. McCoy. Oh, okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah, so that's Dr. McCoy. And Dr. McCoy was a slightly crusty, ornery country doctor mm-hmm. who spent his life in the military, and that actually describes me very well. Mm-hmm. So you can call him a role model. Yep. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you very much uh, for joining us, Dr. Hopefully, maybe once we're in some later stages of the vaccination, uh, <clears throat> we'll have you back for, for an update. Uh, again, thank you very much for taking the time. I know you're incredibly busy uh, and coming out and visiting us here at City Hall. So uh, thank you very much. My pleasure. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Okay. So that was Dr. Green. Uh, I had not met him in person yet. I had heard him speak a lot mm-hmm. and had a few conference calls with him, but uh such a nice guy he just has this presence of you know he knows what he's talking about yeah it's <laughs> fascinating he, he instills confidence in you which is uh in, in a time like this is incredibly valuable i think to everybody so doesn't beat around the bush either no he does not no he does not <laughs> he's a very candid guy so uh and and i'm I'm sure Appreciate if he was that. still sitting here with us, uh, he would tell you, continue to social distance, continue to wear your masks, wash uh, your hands. Wash yes. your hands. Uh, we are definitely not out of this yet. Uh, we, you know, before it might be a couple of months before we really start getting the general public uh, yes. vaccinated. So stay vigilant. Um, we're still obviously not out of the woods yet. So uh, about to wrap up, I did want to just remind folks if there's anything you'd like to hear us discuss on an upcoming uh, Rouse review, uh, please go to the portal, uh, let folks know how to do that. Amy, remind them, please. Yep. Just go to winchesterva.gov and either search for Rouse review or you can add a slash Rouse dash review. That'll take you straight to it. And there is a online form at the bottom of that page. Great. Uh, I do not know who our next guest is going to be yet. It's a surprise. It's going to be a surprise to me uh, as well. Uh, so frankly, we just haven't thought that uh, far ahead. So we are, we'll be back in two weeks. Uh, we'll do this again. And in the meantime, everybody stay safe, wear your masks, and uh, we'll see you around City Hall. <laughs>